Welcome to Living with COVID-19, brought to you by A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. Today, we're going to be continuing a series called An Encouraging Word for Discouraging Times. This is a series that I preached several years ago out of First Peter. It was written for people who were going through difficult and hard times much as what we're experiencing during this time of COVID-19. So I hope these messages will be an encouragement to you. Open your Bible. Let's listen to God's Word together. Thank you, Bibles. Turn over to First Peter chapter 1. We are continuing our study of First Peter, encouraging words for discouraging times. Now, last week, We saw that Peter offers comfort to us by living a holy life. You're going through adversity, you're going through difficulties, you're going through hard times. There is comfort to be found in living a holy life. Today we're going to see that there is also comfort in your adversity to be found by living in harmony with each other. Harmony with one another. Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And if you're going through hard times and difficulties and your house is in an uproar and your house is in turmoil, you will not be able to withstand that hardship, that trial, that adversity. It is imperative that we live in harmony at home and at church, at work, and in all of our social relationships. Because harmony, we can find strength as we pull together, and as we work together, there's strength in unity and in harmony. Our passage today begins over in chapter 22 of Peter, the first Peter, the first chapter. And I'm going to ask you to stand as I read. And you read along silently. And I want you to see if you can pick up three commands that Peter gives about living in harmony. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the Word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing and most of all the obeying of His Word. There seems to me that there were two problems that were primarily threatening the harmony of these Christians that Peter is writing to. The first problem is some of these Christians were backsliding. 
Some were going back to their non-Christian friends, preferring the company of their non-Christian friends to their Christian friends. And I believe this is intimated in chapter 4 of 1 Peter, in verse 3, when Peter says, For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. It seems that in their failure to obey the Word of God, that they had fallen away from obedience to the Word, they had fallen away from walking closely with the Lord, and hence they had lost the desire to hang out with Christian friends, and they wanted to hang out with their non-Christian friends, the ones they had known before they became Christians. I think that's the first problem. The second problem I think they were facing is that the upper-class Christians were slow to recognize the underclass Christians as brothers. There was kind of this class war going on. And the upper class were hesitant and slow to embrace these lower class Christians as true brothers and sisters in the family of Christ. And I think again that that is spoken to in the first verse of chapter 2. When he tells them to put aside all hypocrisy, uh, they were being two-faced. They were saying one thing and then acting in a different way. Or saying one thing to one crowd and then saying another thing to another group. So Peter deals with these problems of backsliding and of this class war by giving some reasons why they should live in harmony and giving some commands. He basically gives three reasons why they should live in harmony, and then he gives three commands. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. First, he gives a reason that they should live in harmony. We see in verse 22, Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, Peter is talking to some of those who had gotten into the wrong company because of their disobedience to God, but now they have come back. The picture seems to be that these Christians, when they became Christians, they broke off their association with their non-Christian friends, not having things in common, not wanting to do the same things, and they began to hang out with their Christian friends. But as sometimes happens to people, After they had been Christians for a while, some of these old desires, some of these sinful lusts began to reappear. And it seems that they gave in to these desires and became disobedient to God, and hence they started desiring to hang out with their old friends, their non-Christian friends. And so they began to do that, but then either because of God's disciplined hand, or perhaps the church had begun to exercise discipline, we don't know what the reason was, but for some reason they realized, man, this is wrong. we got to go back and walk in obedience to God. We've got to go back and start obeying God and get back in fellowship with Christians. And so Peter says, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls 
other words, because they had come back and begun once again to obey God, they began once again to desire to hang out with God's people, to have a fondness for God's people, an affection. Their affections and desires were cleansed, and now they wanted to be with Christians again. Now, see how important obedience is to the Word of God? It has a cleansing effect. It has a purifying effect in our lives. As we walk in obedience to the Scriptures, our desires begin to change. What we enjoy changes. Jesus said in John seventeen seventeen in His prayer, Sanctify, that word again means holify, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. There is a sanctifying effect that the obedience to the Word of God brings in the life of a person. It is crucial that we as Christians walk in obedience to God's Word, that we live in obedience to God's Word. When you stop obeying God's Word, you begin to backslide. You begin to go backward. You begin to fall away from your fellowship, your closeness with the Lord. Well, the way to reverse that is to turn away from the disobedience, to repent, and to begin to obey God. And as you obey God, it has a cleansing effect on your soul. It begins to change your desires, and you begin to want the things of God. It is a major truth in the Christian life. We must bring our will under the authority of God's Word. Whatever God says, that settles it. What I want, what I desire, my feelings, that's not the issue. The issue is, will I obey? Will I bring my will into submission to the will of God as revealed in His Word? Well, these Christians, it seems like, had done that. They had come from disobedience, from backsliding, back to obedience, and therefore they have purified their souls for a fondness, for a love for the brethren. Now that brings us to the word love used twice in verse 22. But it's two different Greek words. English, same word, love, love. But in the Greek, it's two different words, two different meanings, two different types of love. The first word used for love is the word phileo, which means brotherly love, which means a fondness, an affection for somebody. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Delphia is a word for brother, filio, love, so brotherly love. So that's what he says. Now, because you have once again come back to obedience to the Word of God, your desires have been cleansed. Now you have a fond affection for Christians. You want to hang around Christians again. You once again have a brotherly love for Christians. Now go further and fervently agape love these brothers and sisters in Christ. The second word is agape, that godly love, that selfless love. And so if you read the verse using these two different words, it reads, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere brotherly love, fond affection of the brethren, fervently agape one another 
from the heart. Go on a step further and follow through by agape loving from the heart. Now this is a command. Fervently love one another is the imperative mood in the Greek. It is a command. Peter is commanding them to fervently love one another. That's your first command. The first reason was since you have purified your souls by obedience to the word. Now, the command is, since you've done that, go ahead and fervently love one another from the heart. You see, there can be no class distinction in agape love. Love is a self-sacrificing love. Agape puts the other person first. It considers the other person more important than ourselves. It is a godly love. So their second problem would be solved if they would just exercise this godly love toward one another. Now let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We have our best description of what agape love is. And I just want to point out to you some things about agape love. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, I want you to see the spectrum of agape love. First of all, it's not an emotion. You don't see emotions here. Patient, kind, self-giving, not jealous, not provoked, These are not emotions. And since agape love is not an emotion, it can be commanded. Now, you can't command people to have a certain emotion. You know, you you just can't work. You know, you can try to work up an emotion, but, you know, if it's going to be genuine, it just kind of comes on you. But God can command us to love one another with agape love because it is not primarily emotion. It is rather an act of the will, not the heart. And here we are in number two. It's a matter of the will. It's an attitude towards someone. It's a willingness to put other people first. You say, I will, by the grace of God, be patient. I will, by the grace of God, not remember this wrong done against me. I will, by the grace of God, endure all things. It's a choice you make. You choose to exercise agape love. Now, you can't choose to have a romantic love toward just anybody. That's a different Greek word. But you can choose to act loving. And remember, agape is an action word. 
You can choose to act in agape love toward anybody by the grace of God. You can do it. And this is what Paul or Peter is talking about. Now go ahead and go a step further from this fond affection and fervently love one another. Now this word fervently literally means to be stretched out. Now there's a beautiful word picture in this word. It was used of a runner running that race and there being the finish line, and you've seen it in the Olympics. And, you know, the first one that breaks the finish line wins the race. And so you'll see them and they'll throw their chest out to get that extra space so they can stretch out and break that tape. That's the picture being stretched out, giving it everything you got with the greatest amount of effort and energy seeking to accomplish the goal. And this is what he's talking about. Fervently, in a stretched out way, really work at loving each other this way. Now, I'm not going to tell you it's not hard work to agape love. It is. You know why? Because you have to die to yourself. And that's hard work. None of us like doing that. And because agape love is a selfless love, selfless, that means less of self. And that's hard. That's why there's no better place to learn it than a marriage. <laughs> because it is required more there than any place. But you, he says, go ahead now, in a fervent, stretched out, give it all the energy you got. If it's worth doing, it's worth giving it all. Work at fervently, agape loving each other. Agape love one another. Work at it. Strengthen. Be strengthened and seek to do it with all your might. You say, but how? Well, God tells us over in Romans 5, 5, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been, and that word is agape, the agape of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You don't have an excuse. I don't have an excuse. God has already poured out that agape love in my heart. I already have it. I just need to let it out. I just need to, by His grace, choose... Again, it's a choice of your will to do it, to not act in an unbecoming way, to not seek my own, to not be provoked, to be willing to bear all things. It is a choice, and that love has already been poured out in my heart. Secondly, it's a part of the fruit of the Spirit. The Scripture tells us, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And a lot of those are involved in that agape love, aren't they? As a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. He will bear that fruit in your life as you look to Him and trust Him to do so. And if you make a choice by His grace to live agape love. All right, let's review. Peter, first of all, says the reason because you have by obedience purified your souls 
For a fond love of the brethren, now the command, because you've done that, now go ahead a step further, and fervently agape love one another. Now he goes on to the second reason he gives us, and that's found. You have been born again to a living hope. Verse 23. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring Word of God. The reason is because you've been born again to heaven life. And he says the Word of God is the seed of the new birth. That's why the Word of God is utmostly important in evangelism. God takes the Word, His Word, and in some way I do not understand, but in a reality He takes that implanted Word like a seed and uses that Word to bring about the new birth. That's what Peter is telling us in this passage. He said, you've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but through the living and enduring Word of God. Paul talks about this over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. When he says, I planted, and he's using this terminology of planting a seed. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Some people were saying, but I belong, I belong to Paul because it was through Paul I became a Christian. I belong to Apollos because it was Apollos who led me to the Lord. And Paul is saying, hey, that doesn't matter. You know, one plants, he shares the gospel. Another may water, shows love, continues to share the Christian truth. But it's God who causes the new birth. It's God who causes the growth, not us. But the point Paul is making is that it is the seed of the Word of God that brings about that new birth. And when we sow the Word abundantly, then we shall reap abundantly. Now Paul is, excuse me, Peter is dealing with the laws of the harvest here. Now, the laws of the harvest are true in the physical world as well as the spiritual world. You remember, you reap what you sow. You sow an apple seed, you get an apple tree. You don't get a peach tree. You reap more than you sow. You may sow just one kernel of corn, but it will grow up into a stalk that supplies hundreds of kernels through the years. And you reap later than you sow. It takes time. Now, Peter is concentrating on the first one. You reap what you sow. And he's saying, look, the seed that was used to bring about your new birth is the Word of God. And the characteristics of the Word of God will also be characteristics of your spiritual life. Because you reap what you sow. And so Peter is taking this concept and he's saying, now let me talk to you about the heaven life, about the eternal life that you have. And we're going to see it in the light of the seed that it came from. Because like seed will be like life. 
And when you realize the kind of eternal life you have, then he's going to give us the next command. All right, let's look at it. First, he says, it is imperishable. Now, since the Word of God is imperishable, how much more will the fruit, eternal life, be imperishable? Now, Peter is stressing the indestructible character of the new birth. And since eternal life is indestructible, it will not decay, it cannot be corrupted, then go ahead and love one another sincerely and completely. Next, he says that our eternal life is living because the Word of God is not only imperishable, but living. Now, what does it mean by living? I think he's drawing a contrast between the temporal and the eternal. The Word of God is true life. It's living. It's not dead. The Word of God brings a life that has meaning and has purpose. It's a life that Jesus says is an abundant life. And so He says that we are born again from the seed of God's Word that is really living and it gives us a life filled with meaning and purpose. Eternal life is not just existence. It's purpose. It's meaning. It is a quality of life. Too many people are just existing. Well, they're alive, but they're just existing. They have physical life, but they're just existing. Peter says the Word of God brings about a quality, a true life. Jesus said my words are spirit and life. And because you have such a quality of life, you've got heaven life. And you've got it right now on earth. And then he thirdly says that the Word endures unto the ages. Verse 23, through the living and enduring Word of God, and now he explains that a little bit in verse 24, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the Word of God endures forever. He's drawing a contrast between, again, how temporal this life is and how eternal the spiritual life the Word of God is. He is saying the grass is temporal, it does not last, it dies, but the Word of God remains forever, so your spiritual life is eternal and will endure forever. He said, you've been born again from the seed of God's Word, which is eternal and imperishable and living and enduring And your spiritual life is living, it's enduring, it's imperishable. Now live in harmony. Live on a higher plane. You've got a new life, now you need to have a new character. You need to live differently because of the eternal life that you have. So that's the reason. Hey, you've been born again through the Word of God and the character of God's Word is the character of your eternal life. And it's enduring and imperishable. It's living. Now the command, therefore, put aside all evil and worldly ways. 
Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, put aside all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Putting aside. This is one of the this is a favorite picture used in the New Testament. It's actually the word picture of stripping off old dirty clothes. Just taking them off and throwing them away. Putting aside, taking off, stripping off. But this picture is used many times in the New Testament. And I think it would help just to look at how it's used. For instance, over in Romans, Paul says, The night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. See? Take off old dirty clothes. Put on new fresh clothes. Take off the deeds of darkness. Put on the armor of light. And then again in Ephesians 4, Paul says, that is in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. Lay aside. Put it away. And then again in Colossians, he says, but now you also put them all aside. Strip them off. Like old, dirty, filthy clothes, anger and wrath and malice and slander and abusive speech from your mouth. Out of Hebrews uses this same word picture in chapter 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Lay it aside. James uses it. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. And so this picture of stripping off, again, this is an act of the will. You choose to take off the old clothes and put on the new. Peter is saying, now because you have heaven life, start acting like a Christian. Start living the life that you have within you. Let it express itself through your actions. And what it means is not only fervently love, that's the positive thing, but there are some negative things you need to stop doing. Strip off malice. Now this means any kind of wickedness. The Greek means a vice of any kind. It could mean being vicious in character. It could be anything that's devoid of goodness. Anything that doesn't help the body of Christ. Anything that doesn't build people up. Anything that's not beneficial and good. Stop doing it. And then he says deceit. And the, in the Greek, the old verb meant to catch from bait. Trick somebody. Craftiness. Trickery. Manipulation. Manipulating people to get what we want. And then he says hypocrisy. You remember this word comes from the theater where one actor would play several parts and he would change his mask. That's the way he'd change parts. He would put a different mask in front of his face. And he was called the hypocrite. He had two masks, two faces. Acted one way at one time, one way another time. And that word meant to be two-faced. Don't be two-faced. Don't act one way among one group and another way among another group. 
cares the idea of insincerity. Don't act one way on Sunday when you're at church and another way on Saturday night when you're with your friends. What a person sees should be true every day of the week. And then envy. Put aside envy. This is this dissatisfaction, this lack of contentment. Looking at other people's blessings and being envious. And then slander. Speaking against someone. Speaking evil. Running people down. He says, by an act of your will, strip off and separate yourself from these things. All right, so let's review for a moment. Second reason. He says, because you have been born again to heaven life, the command is, put aside all evil and worldly ways. you got heaven life. You need to live differently. Now, Peter changes his pattern, and he gives us the command this time before he gives the reason. Third command is crave the Word of God. Verse 2, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. He's speaking of Christians as newborn babies. They're new in their spiritual life. Now, you've heard me say that I believe God gives us many parallels in the physical world to help us understand the spiritual world. And one of those is this. There are many parallels between a new Christian, a baby Christian, and a physical baby. Many parallels. One is pointed out right here. Just as a newborn baby craves mother's milk, we as Christians particularly new Christians, are to crave the Word of God. Long for the Word of God. This word means to strongly desire. It means to earnestly desire the Word of God. As you put aside the sins, your desire for God's Word will increase. Now, when you long for the Word of God, that means more than just feasting on it once a day, doesn't it? I've been around some newborn babies in my day, and I hadn't found one yet that just eats once a day. Uh Uh-uh. They want to eat during the day. They want to eat during the night. They want to wake you up to feed them during the night. How inconsiderate can you be? But they'll do it every time. They want to be fed every three or four hours. They don't care who it upsets, who it inconveniences. They want to eat. And they're going to keep crying and letting you know they are dissatisfied until they eat. They crave, they long for that mother's milk. And there is nothing better for a newborn babe than mother's milk. We have not been able to invent and create anything better for a newborn babe than mother's milk. There is nothing better for a new Christian than the Word of God, long, earnestly desire the milk of the Word, feed on the Word of God more than just once a day. Wake up during the night earnestly desiring God's Word as a baby wakes up earnestly desiring mother's milk. Now look at what he says about the Word and and its effect. Verse 2, so that. Long for the Word, 
Drink of the Word of God. Feed on the milk of God's Word with the purpose so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. And what does it mean, grow in respect to salvation? Remember, there are three tenses to salvation. First, as the past tense, we have been saved from God's wrath. The moment you're born again, you are saved from the wrath of God. That's past tense. There's a present tense of salvation. We are being conformed into Christ's likeness. We are presently growing into Christ's likeness. That's sanctification, right? And then there's the future aspect of salvation that Peter's already talked about, and that's our glorification. We will be glorified with Christ in the future. Now, in this verse, Peter's talking about the present tense of salvation. When he says, by it you may grow in respect to your salvation, he means that you might grow into the fullness of maturity in Christ's likeness. He's talking about that present aspect of salvation. It's similar to what Paul says over in Philippians chapter 2 when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation. He doesn't mean you're working for your salvation. No, it's, it's already past tense. They're already saved. He's basically saying you work out what God has already worked in. God has saved you. Now, grow into maturity in Christ. Like a baby, you're saved. A baby's a human being. A baby is a person. But hey, they're not all they're going to be. They will grow and mature and become, hopefully, a mature adult. You as a new Christian, you are a Christian. But it is hope that you will grow and become more like Jesus. Right? A baby is not like his parents in every way. But it's hoped if he has good parents that he will grow into being like his parents who will work with him and seek to teach him right. And so as a newborn babe, we are to grow so that we will become like our Savior. And if you're going to grow physically, you've got to eat. I've gotten that down pretty good. But you've got to eat. If you're going to grow spiritually, you've got to eat of the Word. Nothing's better. The Word is better than Christian books. It's better than sermons. You get into the Word of God. Nothing, nothing is better for you spiritually than the Word of God. You can't substitute anything else for it. That's why Satan wants to keep you out of it so much. Because it's perfect food. It's the manna from heaven. It's what your spirit needs to grow and to thrive and to come into Christ-likeness. Now because, he says, command now, long for the word, crave the word, that's the command. Now the reason. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Now that word if would make better translational sense if it was translated since. 
It's one of these things in the Greek where you and I who are reading it in English, the if gives the idea to us that it's a condition that may or may not be fulfilled. But actually in the Greek language, this construction means that Peter well expects and knows that they have tasted of the kindness of the Lord. And so a better understanding would be sense for us. He says, I command you to long, earnestly desire the milk of God's Word. The reason? Because you've already tasted of God's kindness. The Bible talks about tasting of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Again, he's not talking about physical taste, is he? He's talking about a spiritual tasting. Taste and see the Lord is good. If you will get into the Word of God, you will taste God's kindness and goodness. And you know what it does? It makes your appetite grow. The more time you spend in the Word of God, the more of an appetite you have for His Word. You know, that same thing happens in the physical realm, doesn't it? The more you eat, the more you want to eat. You know, you you, you get satisfied for that moment, but next thing you know, you want to eat some more. And when you start wanting to lose weight, you stop eating as much, and sure enough, eventually your stomach kind of shrinks, and you don't want to eat as much, do you? Well, that's a spiritual truth there as well. The more you feed on God's Word, the more you're going to want to feed on God's Word. If you pull back and stop feeding on God's Word, your appetite goes away for spiritual things. And so we need, you know, I've I've challenged people, just spend five minutes a day. Commit to spend five minutes a day, five days a week in the Word of God. They say, okay, I'll do that. Within a few weeks, I come back and say, are you doing it? I said, you know, I'm, I'm spending more than five minutes. It happens, doesn't it? But what happens when you quit spending time? That old hunger just kind of fades. Peter says, because you've tasted of God's kindness, because you know what it is to to richly fellowship with Him in the Word, because you have experienced intimacy with Jesus in the Word, now long for the Word. Crave it. Because it is in the Word of God that you will taste of His goodness and His grace in your life. Now what about you? Let's review. Do you long for the Word? Have you tasted of His kindness? Three commands. Fervently love one another. Will you make a choice this morning by God's grace to do that? He'll help you. But you must make the choice. Family members, people at work, people at school. Secondly, he says, put aside, strip off all evil and worldly ways. Will you do that? Will you choose Strip off those ungodly ways and attitudes. And then thirdly, crave for God's Word. Will you choose to long for the Word? To feed on the Word? Let's pray.
Father, we thank you that you love us so much that you're willing to give your word to us. So clearly you have instructed us. And just as clearly will you strengthen us as we look to you to obey your word. For it is you who will and work in us for your good pleasure. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning again to respond as the Holy Spirit has dealt with you. If you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to do so today. Today is the day of salvation. Now is acceptable time. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You call upon His name, and that means you surrender all you are to all that He is. Accepting Him as your Lord and trusting Him as your Savior.